Hey, welcome to another Dispatch from Holly McKay. Today we're going to be talking about surviving the brutal Burmese army. And uh, this story is about a gentleman named M. Tu Ang, who uh, now 46, has been endlessly running away from danger all of his life. And um, that's this week's Substack. So Holly, tell us a little bit about Burma and, and where this story comes from. Right. So I think what a lot of people don't realize is Burma is really one of the longest running wars and it's continuing. And this is a really a war that's been happening since 1948. And that was when the British gave uh, this country, this sort of small, beautiful uh, country in Asia, back its independence after the Second World War. But since then, it's just been, uh, you know, conflict after conflict, really. And what you're looking at is just a very brutal Burmese army. Um, and really for since then, they you know it's an army it's it's a buddhist you know army which i think a lot of people find ironic but essentially they are brutalizing their own people and um in this particular case i profiled a man named m tu ung and he's been living he's 46 now but really his entire life has been beset by just a brutal brutal uh sort of civil war and he he comes from a predominantly christian uh, state it's known as kachin in burma and um you know, and he's just been, you know, his whole life. And, and you're looking at some of the most brutal human rights atrocities imaginable that have been ongoing. Um, mutilate, mutilation, uh, rape of women, throwing babies into fires, mass slaughter, just absolutely horrific human rights abuses. And it's sort of one of those places that I think just doesn't get enough attention um, from the sort of the broader international community. And, and there was hope several years ago um, with Aung San Suu Kyi, who also won the Nobel Peace Prize, that she was going to somehow reform the country. Of course, she is behind bars right now. Uh, she was put in jail by the, or house arrest by the military um, sort of authorities there and accused of all sorts of things. But she really failed to bring peace to the country in the sense of being able to stand up for a lot of these minorities. Uh. So um, is this primarily uh, a cultural war, a religious war, or what? Um, you know, it's it's really hard because a lot of the times um, it's just this, 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 the military that I hesitate to say it's a religious war, even though in many cases it is. And when you look at the Rohingyas, um, the brutal things that happen to the Rohingyas, which are predominantly Muslim people um, in, in Burma, or, you know, some people refer to it as Myanmar. Um, that itself is sort of a, an ethnic cleansing, so to speak, um, because the Burmese are sort of trying to use a number of excuses, one being, you know, this kind of war on terror um, to drive out uh, the Muslim population. And they refuse to even sort of acknowledge them as as Rohingyas. Um, so there is that aspect of it. But then they also target um, sort of other kind of rebel groups of um, that are Karen people, the Kachin people, their Chin. Um, and a lot of them are Christian. But there, a lot of them are also um, Buddhist as well. So in that case, it's really just comes down to this sort of idea of authoritarianism, I think. And I think that when any sort of group of people, irrespective of, of culture or religion, somehow get a moral superiority 
Um, that's when you're looking at these horrible atrocities happening because they are able to, in some ways, justify what they're doing in their head um, and, and sort of portraying these as being for the greater good of the country or the greater good of uh, the Burmese people. So you're looking at a really sort of authoritarian, nationalistic um, dictatorship, military dictatorship, essentially, um, that are, are trying to squash any dissent or any people who kind of want to live in, you know, independence and, and freedom, so to speak. Um, and you see the military attacking them and wanting to control their land and, and basically control the people. Yeah. So Mr. Ong no longer lives in Burma or Myanmar, no, depending on what you want yes. to call it. He, he, he left a while ago and, and I would, guess that his story as an expat is um not unlike many other of his of his countrymen um what's he like what's he afraid of what does he aspire to these days you covered a little bit of that in your piece yeah, I think um, he's sort of one person who's, who's a big activist. He's, um, you know, he came to the United States. He studied for an MBA and he opened a small business in Maryland and, um, you know, fell in love with another refugee who was in the U.S. from Burma and they married and have uh, three children. And now he's really heavily involved in a local community of, of Baptist churches, which has a, a sort of a prominent place um, in, in Burma as well. Um, but, you know, he's also has this survivor's guilt, so to speak, where you leave behind um, somewhere that's, you know, your home and somewhere that's very, very important. So he, um, he sort of leads a group name known as the Nationalities Alliance of Burma. It's a network of ethnic nationalities and, and organizations that are based in the U.S. Um, and so he really, you know, was trying to reach out to Washington and to get the support that may be needed, um, to, to sort of bring people, um, you know, bring some peace and, and, you know, it's a long shot, but, you know, some semblance of a, a much more democratic government. Um, you know, he always says, and, and he says that it's, it's always been about the Burmanization of the country. Um, and so everyone else in that's not in the military circle, um, is treated as second class. And so the Burmese military, um, you know, wants, wants them to be, wants to protect themselves. And so they're sort of doing that and killing protesters and civilians. So speaking out in Burma, um, you know, is a dangerous thing. And so, you know, really is a big role for the expats and people that are living within the safety of other countries to, to do a lot of the activism on behalf of the loved ones there. Yeah. Yeah. So your assessment of, um, his message, um, who's listening, who isn't? Well, if you see right now, I mean, occasionally Burma will crop up in the news if something happens. Um, I think you were this, this at the beginning of, of, uh, it was 2020. There was sort of a big, um, revolution that kind of happened there. And, and so it made the news again for a little bit. Um, but beyond that, you know, we don't, we don't really hear about it. It sort of looked at as being such a long running war. You know, U.S. has limited interest, you know, I guess in, in somewhere like Burma. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's just a place that I think is very close to my heart, uh, because you're looking at such, such brutality and you're looking at such beautiful sort of people as well. And they all deserve their story to be told and, um, often, you know, gets overshadowed. And I think it's important not to forget these things because right now there's obviously you know, what's happening in Ukraine is devastating, but and there's little bandwidth for, for anything else. And I just think it's important to, you know, to, to be that kind of reminder that there are also, um, a lot of horrible things happening in other places that also deserve our um our attention uh yes indeed and uh you know lest people forget um burma was the site of the largest battle in world war ii 
on the same scale as the invasion of the beaches in Normandy, a place called mm-hmm. Impal, Kohima. And uh, so it was at one time in the world pivotal to the future of the planet. And it's kind of sad to hear that it's met with such a terrible fate over time. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, um, people should read this, uh, the, the text of this story, I think, and get a little bit more familiar with, with uh, what you're reporting. Thanks, Holly. And uh, we look forward to the next dispatch. Thank you, Dennis.